Uh, I had surgery on this Thursday on, on this arm. So I'm thinking about that. Uh, if you don't know, my bicep got too big and just ripped right off the bone. It's crazy. It happens sometimes. Uh, that's what I tell people anyways. So I'm thinking about surgery the next day. You know, I'm going to be laid up at least one of my arms. I was just threatening someone. I like to use my arms a lot when I speak, so I'm going to have to compensate with just this one. So I'm going to be doing windmills up here today, I'm afraid. Uh, anyways, so I'm thinking, oh, this is a serious story. Hold on. Get back. So I'm thinking about that. That's that's intense. Surgery is intense. Thinking about that, and then I and I've got this other project going on at the house. I'm getting the house painted, the exterior of the house, and they had to stop the day before because the rain started coming down. Uh, and I'm nervous that the rain's going to keep coming. They're not going to be able to finish it, and it's just going to be primer until I don't know March or April next year. <laughs> And I'm thinking about this, so this is like 10, 15 minutes, I'm thinking about this stuff. I can't stay in bed any longer, I got to get up. So I get up, do my thing, walk down the stairs, I got to get some coffee. Down the stairs, hang a left, and I'm walking to the coffee pot. And as I'm walking through my dining room to the kitchen, I'm looking to the left, out some windows, and I can see some hills, and I can see some clouds starting to build up. And I'm looking at those clouds, and I'm like, is that rain? Is that rain clouds? It says it's cloudy. It doesn't say there's rain in the forecast, but it also didn't say that the day before, and it rained. So this is what I'm thinking about. I'm like, dang, if, that, if rain's coming, that means the painters are going to be delayed another day. That's going to push the project another day out. You know what I mean? I'm just like thinking this th- stuff through. My gut is starting to tighten a little bit, and I'm walking by, and I almost make it to the coffee pot, and I stop. And I thought, something seemed funny when I was just walking by my living room. I felt like somebody was looking at me. So I, I reverse uh, about five or six steps, and I look at my couch, and there's my son <laughs> sitting on the couch with this huge grin. Henry, there, there, there's the grin. He's looking at me with this huge grin. And he goes, hey, Dad. And I was like, hey, bud. He said, didn't you see me? And I was like, no, I didn't see you at all. I was looking right at Henry, but just past him out the, out the window. He was sitting in the, in the couch, uh, or on the couch, staring at me, and I missed him completely because I was looking right past him. I had everything else going on in my mind, and I didn't have a clue. So he says, but you were looking right at me. I, I didn't see you, dude. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to ignore you. So I go and say good morning to him. And then I ignored him and went and got coffee, which, which is in everybody's best interest to get, to get coffeeed up as fast as possible. So what I did to Henry, okay, overlooking Henry, is often what I do to the gospel. Okay, the gospel is staring me right in the face, like right here, like couldn't be any clearer. I read the gospel. I hear the gospel on a regular basis. This is just my life. I'm, I'm hanging out with a bunch of church people all the time. I sing the gospel on a regular basis. Here, see, it's starting to go. <laughs> I sing the gospel but I will miss it. I don't see it. I look right past it at everything else that's going on in my life. 
It's hidden from me, and I am blind from the gospel, even though it's sitting right there in front of me. And I wonder if you guys do the same thing. I wonder if everything that's going on in your life, stuff gets crazy, you're in the thick of it, and you look right past the gospel, and you're like, I don't have time for that right now. You probably don't think that consciously. Who would, you know, maybe you do. I don't know, sometimes maybe I do that. But you look right past it, and you're like, hold on, I got a bunch of stuff I got to get done. I got this, I got that, I got the other thing. I got to get after it. I got to get going. I got to get rolling. I need coffee because I got to get after it, you know. I got to get this stuff done. Let me tell you, if you can say yes to this question, are you blind to the gospel? If you can say yes to that, guess what? I got good news for you. I got good news if you're blind to the gospel. The gospel is so great, okay, before I finish what the good news is. The gospel is so great because it's for those of us that are struggling. It's for those of us that don't have it all figured out. It's for those of us that, that, that can't figure it out, it seems like. The gospel is for us. So if you can say, I am blind to the gospel, guess what? It's the blind that receive their sight. Isn't that epic? I should just get off the stage. It's the blind that receive their sight. I have a few more things to say, so I'll stay. I'll stay up there. We got two stories today that we're going to work through to kind of see that the blind received their sight. We've got the disciples. If you were listening, I'll actually going to read, read uh, I'll paraphrase it for you in just a second. But the, the disciples can see. They can see, but they can't see. The gospel's hidden from them. And then we've got this blind beggar that obviously can't see. He's blind. But he sees Jesus perfectly. Okay, let me, let me talk through these two stories. Let me paraphrase these two stories for us. You don't necessarily need to pick up your Bible and read them again. We already did that once. Jesus is hanging out with the disciples. He's on his way to Jerusalem. It's close to the end of his ministry. This is, this is probably two and a half, almost three years now that Jesus has been hanging out with the disciples, and he tells them, hey, everything that was said about me in Scripture is going to be accomplished. What does that mean? He's referencing Psalm 22, he's referencing Isaiah 53, he's referencing Zechariah 12. These things were, were uh, prophecies that the Messiah is going to have to suffer, that he's going to be mocked, he's going to be shamefully treated. Psalm 22 says something to the effect, of, if I could flip through a Bible right now, I would look it up. It says something like, uh, you know, if you're so great, why don't you save yourself, it says in Psalm 22. And that's what they said about him when he was on the cross. He saved others, why can't he save himself? That was written 1,000 years before Jesus was on the cross, before that actually happened. So there's one. The Isaiah 53 talks about um, he was pierced for our transgressions. That was written 800 years before the crucifixion. What happened on the cross? Just to make sure Jesus was dead on the cross, they shoved a sword in his side, and out comes blood and water out of the side of him. So there's a prediction. And then Zechariah references the same piercing in uh, Zechariah 12.10. So Jesus, back to the disciples. Jesus says to the disciples, what has been said about me is going to be accomplished. They're going to hand me over to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are going to treat me terribly. They're going to spit on me. They're going to mock me. And after flogging me, after whipping me with a stick, they're going to kill me. And I'm going to rise again on the third day. But the end of this little section, this little section in the Bible, the, the title is called Jesus Foretells of His Death a Third Time. 
in Luke, it's the only section. So Jesus, these are, are referenced in all the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the only section that adds this little part. But they understood none of these things. It was hidden from the disciples, and they couldn't grasp what was being said. It was hidden. It was right in front of him, right in front of them. And they couldn't see it. Okay, so that's the disciples. That's the one, one story. The second story is uh, the blind beggar. So a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road. He's obviously poor. He's, he's pushed to the background. He's forgotten. He's, he's marginalized, whatever. He's blind. He can't, he's destitute. He can't care for himself. He hears some commotion. He says, you know, there's a crowd around, I guess. He says, what's going on? Somebody says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And this guy has heard, apparently, that Jesus of Nazareth might be the coming Messiah. And he yells out, son of David, have mercy on me. And then the crowd, what does the crowd do? They shush him. Hey, quiet down. It's Jesus, okay? Pull yourself together. This seems like great church people, doesn't it? Hush, quit being so desperate. You gotta like tuck your shirt in. Church it up a little bit, you know? We're at church, come on, don't be so needy. But I, I read this commentator that said this was like a river that was overflowing its banks. And this river was coming to a dam. And, and, and the church people are like the dam that are trying to stop the river. But when a river is overflowing its banks, the dam doesn't stop it. The dam just, just creates a bigger, more wild river that just explodes over the dam. And this is what the blind beggar is feeling like. No, I heard this is the Messiah. I need a miracle. Son, he says even louder, son of David, have mercy on me. He yells it out, and it works. Jesus hears him. Jesus commands him to be brought in front of him. T take him from the background, bring him to the foreground, put him front and center. I, this is so cool, man. I love it when Jesus takes these marginalized people, these weak, these, like, these destitute people, put them right in the front, because you know, it's like, hold my beer. Watch what's about to happen. Watch what I'm about to do. Brings him to the front. Jesus says, what do you want? What can I do for you? Let me recover my sight. Jesus said, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And that's it. The guy recovers his sight, immediately jumps up, follows him, glorifies God, and, and everybody that sees it, those, those little church people that were trying to shush him, the ones that then had to help him get in front of Jesus, the ones that are like, you know, feeling kind of sheepish now, everybody praised God because they just saw this blind beggar healed. Incredible story. Epic story. Only, only in the gospel, man, can you see this, this stuff. So why were the disciples so blind to the gospel? Why did the blind beggar see it so clearly? Let's compare and contrast a few things and help us understand why this might have been the case. Okay? First thing I want to compare and contrast is the disciples thought Jesus was their political savior, the blind beggar, knew Jesus was his personal savior, okay? The disciples were there. They were being oppressed by the government. They were being treated unfairly. 
and they wanted Jesus to, to help them. They saw these incredible things he was doing. They thought, yes, finally. There's also some prophecies that talks about the glory of God, and they were saying, this is it. This is our time. Jesus is going to make things right. He's going he's gonna to overthrow the, the, the terrible regime that's in, that's in power, and he's going to bring in a more fair regime. It's going to be awesome. This is going to be a victory for us. I can't wait for this. Matthew Henry says, says this. This saying was hidden from them. This is what, what Jesus was telling him about his life, death, and resurrection. They could not receive it. For their parts, they had read the Old Testament many times, but they could never see anything in it that would be accomplished in the disgrace and the death of this Messiah. They were so intent upon the prophecies that spoke of his glory that they overlooked those that spoke of his sufferings. They were, they were like consumed with the, with the glory of Jesus. Like, yes, this is, this is going to happen that they missed the gospel that was right in front of them. They missed the sufferings that Jesus had to endure in order to bring about the victory that will come. How many of us look to Jesus as our political savior? How many of us want Jesus to save us from the left? or maybe a few from the right today. How many of us, I mean, there's so much hostility and, and angst in, in politics right now, although I think it's always been like that. It seems like, it's, uh, seems like it's, it's getting more intense, but if you've read what was said like back in the early days, the George Washington, the John Adams, the Thomas Jefferson taste, like they were saying horrible things about each other. Politics has always been brutal, but it's getting pretty intense. Are you looking for, for Jesus to be a political savior? Are you looking for Jesus to, to, um, to save you from the mandates, from the, from the mask mandate, from the vaccine mandate, from the seemingly uh, overhanded uh, mandates to shut businesses down like, like that? Like, sorry, you're done. You're a restaurant, you're a gym owner, you can't feed your family. Are you looking for Jesus to save you from, from the political situation? Are you feeling a little bit like we're being oppressed? Like maybe this is kind of unfair, like they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be treating us like this? Do you know that's what the disciples were dealing with too, but much, much worse? Like it's so much worse back, back then. Are you looking for, for Jesus to save you from, I don't know, the school board? That's the, something I've been focused on, the elected school board. Silverton's, I think, a little bit different than Salem-Kaiser. There's some crazy stuff that's getting pushed in schools now, like weird stuff. Like, are you looking for Jesus to save you from the, from the school board? Not just for my kids, but for all kids that are going to public school? Like, that's going to have an impact, isn't it, in the future? Jesus, save us from that. Are you looking for Jesus to save you from, I don't know, the governor, the president, from the courts, whatever it is? Is that what Jesus is to you? Is he your political savior? What was he to the blind beggar? The blind beggar wasn't looking for a political savior. Was the blind beggar, like, was he, was he interested in, well, if if we could just overthrow this horrible regime, things would get better for me. If we could just institute some sensitivity training on how to treat blind people, maybe, you know, maybe life would improve for me. 
That's not what the blind beggar was interested in. The blind beggar had one problem, one horrible problem. It was his problem. It was his hopeless and helpless condition. He wasn't concerned with anybody else, with, with everybody else. He was concerned about his own condition, and he needed Jesus to have mercy on me, he says. I just found this verse this morning. There is no government anywhere that God has not put there for us. No, there is no government anywhere that has not been put there by him. That's Romans 13. Jesus knows the government that's in place. Jesus knows the, the crazy politics of the day. He's aware, okay, just, just to be clear. He knows the situation at hand. Jesus is not going to save us, not a political savior. He's our personal savior. That's the first comparing and contrasting here. The next one is the disciples knew Jesus, but the blind beggar needed Jesus. The disciples spent years walking with Jesus, hearing from him, talking with him, hearing about the parables, seeing him heal people. They knew Jesus. They knew their, they knew their Bible. Did the blind beggar know Jesus? The blind beggar didn't know Jesus at all. All the blind beggar knew was that this might be the Messiah, my situation, hopeless, helpless. I need a complete miracle. I need a supernatural act of God to save me from this. I need Jesus to have mercy on me and my situation. He didn't, he didn't know Jesus. He needed Jesus. And then the last one that I wanted to compare the two, the two groups with. The disciples, it was too complex what Jesus was saying for them. Overly, overly uh, complex for them, I guess. But the blind beggar was simple. It was clear. He understood it perfectly, what, what Jesus was saying. He understood the gospel perfectly. So the... the I don't know if you've heard this, but some people say the gospel can, uh, should be caught, not taught. Like, a, like an understanding that it's too complex for us. Like we couldn't possibly understand it. You just have to hang around and, and absorb it because it's, it's too crazy. You couldn't possibly understand it. Sometimes that verse from Job is used to justify this. Who can understand the wisdom of God? And it is true. God is way more complex than we could understand is in his fullness. That The creator, the one that, that wrote each and every one of our stories, the one that, that uh, knows how many hairs are on our heads. Some of you, it's easier math than, than others. Sorry, Kurt. I may be broken, but I still got some hair. God is complex his wisdom is complex. Is the gospel complex? Do you know who understands the gospel? Little children understand the gospel. Luke 10, 21. This is epic. This is Jesus praying to the Father. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed, that's key, revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Do you catch that? 
The blind beggar is not overly smart. He didn't figure out like, oh, I just, uh, it's complex, but I was able to, to kind of deduce this in my head. It was revealed to him. The gospel is incomprehensible when it's not revealed. It's foolishness to people when, when it's not revealed. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it's undiscoverable when unaided, unnoticed when not needed. It's an open secret set before us, and only God can open our eyes to it. And who does God love to reveal the gospel to? He loves to reveal it to the marginalized, to the struggling, to the hurting people. He loves the, I feel like he loves the big play. Did you see that play that Russell Wilson made a couple of weeks ago? No joke. Like against the 49ers, Nick Bosa was coming at him. I thought he was going to be sacked for sure. I was getting ready to be like, no. But then he spins out of it and he hits Freddie Swain in the end zone. In the corner of the end zone, it went from like a sure sack to like, oh my gosh, it's a touchdown. Like this is our God. Like he's like, oh, these people are lost. These people are forgotten. Watch this. Like down to their last straw, down to the last penny, down to the last breath. He shows himself. He appears. He's right, like the gospel's right in front of them the whole time. Left for dead, like down to your last breath, whatever the other sayings are. He shows up 50 years Possibly. You could hear the gospel. Never makes any sense to you. You never see it in its fullness. You look right over it. You look right around it. You're oblivious to it. And then you're, you're down on your knees. You got nothing left to offer. There's nothing le- like I've tried everything. I can't figure it out. And then, oh my gosh, it's real. It's legit. God is God exists. The gospel is amazing. It provides hope. This is what I've I've come to hear from somebody who's close to me who's 50 years old and heard the gospel his entire life oh my gosh this is the the great god we serve think of these the weak are made strong from second corinthians 12 10 paul says for when i am weak then i am strong it's the fools that become wise from first corinthians 3 18 if anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age let him become a fool that he may become wise In Galatians, remember, we talked about it, the barren that receive the blessing. It's the crippled that are made to walk, the prisoners that are set free. It's the blind that receive their sight. I'm going to ask you again. Are you blind to the gospel? Don't run from it. Don't, Don't say, no, I know the gospel. I know it. I heard it in Sunday school. Don't run from it, man. When you, when you embrace your blindness, when you embrace, embrace, embrace your inability to save yourself, when you see that desperation, that loneliness, when you've been pushed aside, that's when you see Jesus. So if you can say yes to that question, are you blind? The next question is, what do we do about it? We don't have a seven-step program for you to, in order for you to become or to receive your sight. The blind beggar has seven words for us this morning. Son of David, have mercy on me. That's it. That's it. This isn't rocket science. It's not too complex. It's simple. It's understandable. 
Do you need it? Can you pray that for real? Can you see your blindness? It's kind of a funny thing there. Son of David, have mercy on me. When we pray that to Jesus, do you know what happens? Jesus can't help but show mercy to you. Do you know why? Because he was shown no mercy. He knows what that felt like. Remember verse 32? Jesus was trying to tell the, trying to tell the disciples what was going to happen. For he was delivered over to the Gentiles. He's going to be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon. And after flogging him, they're going to kill him. They're going to kill me, he says to them. He would hang on a cross, broken and bleeding. And he would call out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time and the only time, God hides himself from his own son. Instead of pouring out mercy on a son, what does he pour out? Wrath. All of the wrath that we deserved. He shows him no mercy so that we can be shown mercy. Do you see it? Is it starting to come into focus? Do you understand that you need it? Do you want it? Oh my gosh. We cannot run from blindness. We have to understand that we are blind and oblivious. We look for solutions, and they're just distractions, okay? We push the gospel aside. I don't have time for that right now. I got all these other things that need to be accomplished. We can't run from that, okay? We can't be oblivious to the gospel. We need to be praying these these prayers. Son of David, have mercy on me. Last time, I'm going to ask the question, are you blind to the gospel. This is what Jesus says to us. If you can say yes to that question, this is what Jesus says. Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, Outward Silverton recovered their sight and they followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love these, uh, we love these stories uh, that are in the gospel. They're, they're, so, they're so simple, but they're so rich um, in, in understanding and, and uh, with, the, with the metaphors. And we just, we just beg. We are blind beggars. I pray that we would see ourselves as blind beggars begging for a solution, begging for a savior. We see the nature of our condition, our hopeless and helpless condition. We need a miracle to save us from the sin and the, and the shame in our life. And we beg you for it. We beg you for that solution. We, be, we beg you that you, would, that you would come and that you would help us recover our sight. God, we pray that, um, that as we hear this, that, our, that, that hearts would change and that um, we would praise you, that, that we would recover our sight, we would immediately jump up, we would follow you, we would glorify God, and that people would see that and they would praise God as our lives change and turn into something that, that we could never do on our own. We pray this in your incredible name. Amen.